loss, spiritual darkness, and imprisonment were just a few forms of opposition Judson faced for the extent of his ministry, which spanned nearly 36 years. Judson was married three times, having lost his first two wives to illness, seven of his 13 children died before reaching early childhood, and he himself eventually developed a lung disease that would lead to his death. Not only did Judson suffer physical pain and loss in the sharing of the gospel, he suffered imprisonment during the Anglo-Burmese War. For 17 months, Judson was bound by iron and fed very little, sometimes being suspended by his feet. As terrible as his imprisonment was, the worst opposition came upon his release when his father, wife, and child died, leaving him alone and doubting his motives for missionary work. Judson retreated from the world and utilized self-denial and isolation as his means of survival. After a 40-day stint alone in the jungle, he wrote, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. Adoniram Judson had picked up his cross to follow his savior and found himself suffering alone in the jungles of Burma. The news of his brother's passing, a brother whom he believed had found faith before his death, began his immersion from the darkness. It was during the year following this great darkness that the spiritual efforts in Burma began to take root. Had he given up, he would have missed the fruit of the following years on the mission field. And today, his faithfulness continues to bear fruit as nearly 3,700 congregations in Burma trace their heritage back to this one missionary who stood firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give it up for missions. Thank God for people who knew how to take a stand. Amen. That's what we're talking about right now, taking your stand. It's what Ephesians calls us to, to stand therefore, but it's that phrase right before it that really has challenged my heart at the beginning of this year, having done everything to stand and asking the question, have we? Have we done the things that are necessary to take a stand? And Adoniram Judson certainly paid a price that many of us know nothing of, but he took a stand and because of that, the uh, gospel is being preached and people are being won to Christ. I'm thankful, aren't you, for people to take a stand. So this morning, I want to encourage you to take a stand for community by joining a connect group. <laughs> Do you like that segue? How many like that? That was kind of smooth how I did that. Sign up for a connect group. You can do it in the lobby. You can do it online. You can stop and let us know. We want everyone in a connect group. And I do want to, I want to make a follow-up comment from Pastor Nathan's comments that I agree with a thousand percent. And I'm glad for worship leader who takes a stand for worship, not for music. But I will also tell you that a worship team without skills will destroy worship. Come on, how many know that? Listen, I've preached after it's like, oh, dear Jesus, come quickly. Because this worship service has closed everyone to the gospel. Worship should move you into his presence to receive the words so we can respond to what God is doing. And God, I believe this, I believe that God honors excellence and effort and preparation. I believe all of that. And I'm so thankful for the worship department we have. And I want you right now to give it up for them. Their hard work and all they do for what's being done here at Berean. So have you done all there is to stand? Have you done all to stand? 
And last week, the question I asked you was, have you prayed? Before you take a stand, have you prayed? Prayer doesn't change things. We pray to a God who changes things. And in that personal, intimate relationship with him, he will direct us and guide our steps. The second question I would ask you in preparation for taking a stand, have you done all? Is have you fasted? How many are ready for this sermon to be over? As soon as you mention fasting, it's like a spirit of depression moves into the room. And I'm, I, I, I'm not suggesting this morning's message is going to be overly inspirational, but I do want to give you information that I believe will kindle inspiration in your heart. It's one of the things we don't talk about in this consumer Christianity era is about fasting and self-denial. We want liberty and victory. We don't want to have to pay the other price. Now, fasting can stand alone as a spiritual discipline, but it often, most often, is linked together with prayer. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, only spends four verses on the subject and does very little teaching on fasting in the Gospels. In Matthew, he teaches about it three times. In Mark, it's recorded twice. In Luke, just once. And in John, it's not recorded at all. So let me give you just the basic content of what Jesus tells us about fasting. And I'm building toward a point as we look at what the uh, uh, other scriptures tell us. Number one, here's all that he tells us about fasting. Number one, when you fast, don't look like you're fasting. It's a bad day. I'm fasting. I skipped breakfast and it's only nine o'clock. Don't appear to be fasting. You've blown it. That is your reward when people pat you on the back. Second, he says to us, there are some things that will not happen without fasting. And we'll look at that in a little bit. But some things spiritually that will not take place without fasting. So if you want to take a stand, fasting has to be part of that. And third, he makes it really clear, there's a time to fast and there's a time not to fast. Don't fast in a time of celebration. And don't celebrate in a time of fasting. You have to understand the times and what God is doing and how all of that interacts. That's really all that he tells us. So what is fasting? Well, Thayer's Greek lexicon dictionary says this. Fasting is to abstain as a religious exercise from food and or drink, either entirely if the fast lasted a day or from customary and choice nourishment if it continued several days. Now, that definition isn't accurate biblically, but it gives you an idea that fasting is to cease from consumption. Then the theological definition, fasting is a spiritual discipline that is taught in the Bible. Jesus expected his followers to fast, and he said that God rewards fasting. Fasting, according to the Bible, means to voluntarily reduce or eliminate your intake of food for a specific time and purpose, to voluntarily reduce or eliminate your intake of food, and that would be whether solid or liquid, for a specific time or per and purpose. Now, probably, if we were to really talk about it, all of us recognize that there are benefits to fasting that are not spiritual. There are natural benefits to the practice of fasting. People talk about those all the time. With weight loss, you'll talk about intermittent fasting, and diets really are a form of fasting to eliminate the consumption of certain foods. 
And I was reading what some of the old writers said about fasting, and uh, theologian William Barclay said this, fasting is effective in restoring basic pleasures and helping us appreciate the ordinary. Nowadays, the appetite is blunted, the palate is dulled, the edge has gone off of it. What was once a sharp pleasure has become simply a drug we cannot do without. Fasting keeps the thrill in the pleasure of eating by keeping the pleasure always fresh and new. Now, I get what he's saying, and there may be truth to that, but that's really the opposite of what the Bible teaches about fasting. Fasting is not about sharpening your appetites. Fasting is about containing your appetites. Because here's the primary premise, all right? This is the, the big idea when it comes to fasting. Your spirit cannot be free if your flesh is not bound. I'm going to say that again. Your spirit cannot be free if your flesh is not bound. You cannot feed the flesh and cater to fleshly appetites and at the same time enjoy the power and blessing of the Spirit of God. The works of the flesh will bring you to destruction. The fruit of the Spirit will bring you to life. He that sows to the flesh will reap corruption. He that sows to the flesh will, or Spirit will reap life everlasting. Crucify the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So the whole idea in Scripture is this. You have to crucify and put your fleshly nature in bondage and when you have it dead as Romans says then your spirit will be free to soar when you read Romans chapter 6 7 and 8 chapter 6 is about the person dead in their sins who comes to Christ chapter 7 is about the individual who struggles with the appetites of the flesh and he makes this great statement the things I want to do I don't find the power to do and the things that I don't want to do are the things that control me and he struggles with that in chapter 7 but in chapter 8 he says now therefore there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit because the flesh is the law of death the spirit is the law of life and so what we have to learn to do is subjugate our flesh so that our spirit can be free to soar you can't have it both ways and fasting helps us with that process it helps us in that journey Paul says it this way, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. Now let's pause there. How many of you want to run like someone trying to win the prize? In fact, how many of you want to win the prize spiritually? I hope all of you do. Let me see your hands. Hold them up. Hold up your neighbor's hand. If they won't hold their hand, lead them to Jesus right now. Admit, believe, confess. No, I beat my body, and he's using that figuratively, and make it my slave so that, if, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. If you know anything about sports, you know that you have to contain the body in order to be effective on the field. Yeah. 
If you're going to be a football player, it depends on the position you play. If you're a lineman, eat all you want. But if you're running back, you're going to have to take care of the body in a different way. If you're a wrestler, my grandson's into wrestling now, and I watched some of that yesterday, and it's like, oh, you got to make weight and get below that, and you've got to train and work hard. And you can eat donuts all week long if you want to, but you're going to be pinned in five seconds on the mat, right? Come on, someone help me this morning. I'm telling you that if you want to be able to play an instrument, you can't just walk up here and start to play. I can make noise on the Nord, but I can't make music. I've never liked practicing. Um, But I will tell you that in any field in which you intend to succeed, there has to be a disciplining of the fleshly appetites so that your goal can be accomplished. And Paul says, I don't want to be a castaway. And in order to win spiritually, I have to deal with the appetites of the flesh. So what I want to do is explore that a little bit this morning and give you some freedom so that you're not in some kind of bondage. How many have ever felt bondage by the idea of freedom, uh, by the idea of fasting? Let me see your hands. It's like, I don't know. What should I eat? What should I not eat? How long do I have to do this? Do I have to do this 40 days? Do I have to do it 100 days? Can I do it for 40 seconds? How long do I have to do this? Fasting, oh yeah, we should do it, but I'll do it next year. Well, the first principle of Scripture that's clear from Jesus is that fasting is biblically flexible. This is the good news. Fasting is biblically flexible. There are multiple ways to fast, and there are multiple lengths of fasting. I have a book that I've recommended many people read, and I've spread it around. I've taught from it called God's Chosen Fast. And it says there are three ways to fast. And as I did more work um, coming into this morning about it, I realized there's a lot more than three ways to fast. There are more ways to engage the process and more that you can commit yourself to. In Daniel chapter 6, there's a one-night fast. In Esther chapter 4 and Acts chapter 9, there are three-day fasts. In 1 Samuel 31 and 2 Samuel 12, there are seven-day fasts. In Acts chapter 27, there's a 14-day fast. In Daniel chapter 10, there's a 21-day fast. In Deuteronomy 9, 1 Kings 19 and Matthew 4, there are 40-day fasts. And then there are a number of unspecified lengths of fasts. In Matthew 9, Luke chapter 2, Acts 13, and Acts chapter 14. There isn't an accepted or established length of time that you have to fast. And as I'm looking at that list, I'd rather fast overnight than 40 days. Okay. (laughs) In fact, I try to do that most of the time. I'm trying to eliminate that three in the morning snack. No, I don't do that at all. But the idea being... You fasting isn't regimented. It's not legalistic. It's not, well, if you don't fast a full day or you don't fast 21 days or you don't fast, it's not that at all. Fasting is a tool that God gives you to use in a way that you feel appropriate. And some people's health won't allow them to fast any extended period of time. The idea being that 
you establish how long in your relationship to God. It's similar to prayer. We talk about praying for an hour, a half hour, 10 minutes. And I talked to you last week how rigid that is, that if prayer is relational, if I said to my wife, in 2021, we talked five minutes a day. And I feel like I've grown to that. And I really believe I could endure time with you for 10 minutes a day in 2022. But that's how we approach prayer. No, five minutes a day. (laughs) Now let's do 10. Shouldn't be that at all. It's relational. It's dialogue. There ought to be times you just get lost in prayer. And there are times that, forgive me for this, but when other things are going on, I think God loves a fist bump from us. Just a reconnecting, an interaction with him, a relational dialogue with him. And fasting is that as well, a relational dialogue with God that you're saying, I'm going to put aside my fleshly appetite so I have time to spend with him. There are multiple methods for fasting. Some fast from food, some fast from food and water, some fast from certain kinds of foods. All of those are in scripture. Again, it's not legalistic or regimented. It's personal, sometimes corporate, but it is simply buffeting the body so that my spirit can be released. Now let's take the example of Daniel and how many of you have heard of a Daniel fast? Okay. I won't ask how many of you have done a Daniel fast. It's popular for churches to do a Daniel fast at the start of the year corporately. And I don't think there's anything inappropriate with that. But before I engage in that, I'd like to look at what happened when Daniel did fast. And maybe that will give us some insight. So if you've done a Daniel fast, good for you. I applaud that. I celebrate that. I'd encourage all of you to do that. But I do think, don't you, that it's important to know the biblical underpinning pinnings of things that we're going to practice. All right, so let's talk about that. Daniel practiced what I would call a lifestyle fast in Daniel chapter 1. When you read the story, it says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the king's food. Ten days of just vegetables, and God blessed them. Now let's pause there. Is that a fasting that we a fast that we need to engage in? Watch this. If the food would have defiled Daniel before the fast, that same food would defile him afterwards. Right? Dietary laws in Israel were of and incredible importance because their relationship to God was pictured by what they consumed. I did a series once through the book of Leviticus. That'll keep you awake all night. And uh, one of the things that becomes very, very clear is that God measures in the Old Testament a picture that what you consume affects your relationship with him. How many know that's true? What you consume mentally, um, physically, etc. So what was that all about? Daniel was saying, I can do better on just vegetables than the others can do on the king's food. And I'll prove that in 10 days. And God honored that, which put Daniel in charge of his diet after 10 days. So he didn't defile himself with the king's food. Now, what would a lifestyle fast look like? Well, I think there's some things that we need to abstain from in order to honor God. I have a lifestyle fast from alcohol. 
you can argue with me all day long and I'll show you that you're wrong about what the Bible has. But let's just look at it that way. If you look at the price that's paid by the alcohol industry, the Christian world ought to be really, really careful about their involvement in an industry that ruins home, destroys lives, and kills people. We need to be very, very careful about that. So what would be a parallel in our day? A parallel in our day would be a lifestyle fast from alcohol. There may be some other things that you have a weakness for or a tendency toward. And I wouldn't call this a biblical fast. I'd call it a medical one. If you have diabetes, how many know that you have to engage in a lifestyle fast? There's some things you can't eat. It may be that you have an obsession with a certain kind of food and pecan pies exempted from this discussion. <laughs> that as a lifestyle fast, you're going to set that aside because of the impact that it has on you, that you just can't stop yourself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's what Daniel did, a lifestyle fast. He wanted to prove the value of the Old Testament system and didn't want to defile himself with the king's food, so he went on a vegetable fast for 10 days, and God blessed him beyond all of the young men in Babylon. And there are times that we need to engage in that. In Daniel chapter 10, you have a spiritual fast. Daniel fasted 21 days from choice foods and used no lotions, which means he buffeted his body. So I'm going to say to you that if you go on a true Daniel fast and you don't eat any choice foods for 21 days and no lotions on your body, uh, you need to stay home. <laughs> or we'll put you in a full drum cage while you enjoy the service. I mean, he is buffeting his body, and I'm not necessarily recommending that, but I hope no one's practicing a 21-day Daniel fast without deodorant. How many know what deodorant is? A young man in Bible school didn't know, and we taught him, hallelujah. So Daniel, and why did he do the fast? We'll see that later, but his whole idea there is he needed to hear from God and he was buffeting the appetites of the flesh so that he could free his spirit. And so that's different than what people do for a Daniel fast. And I'm not against it. I'm for it. But it's, what I want you to see is that fasting isn't rigid. There are spiritual kinds of fasting. There are natural kinds of fasting. There are a variety of ways to fast and a variety of links to fast. So you get the freedom to choose how to engage it. So then, I'm going to take you one more step. In Isaiah chapter 58, there's a spiritual fast that doesn't have to do with food at all. And I think when God says something, I have this, I have this preconceived notion that when God says it, it's right. Okay? Uh, maybe that would be a good place. To, what, what does God say? about fasting. Well, there's a really powerful teaching on fasting in Isaiah chapter uh, 58. And the people are frustrated. They say to God, why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And he answers, Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. 
your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Fasting doesn't negate your fleshly behaviors. Here is the fast that I've chosen. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you, but he goes on to describe the kind of fast that God is looking for. Basically, he says this, you need to fast from pride and humble yourself. You need to fast from oppressing others and release the chains of injustice. You need to fast from food and feed and clothe and shelter the destitute. So in fasting from food, do it in this case to be a blessing to others. The whole thrust of the chapter is fasting is to subjugate your pride, your arrogance, and your self-indulgence and replace it with service and love and care for others. That's the fast. And he says, if you do that, then I will hear from heaven. All right, so fasting, what I want you to see is it's totally flexible. (laughs) This isn't in my notes, but that was really funny. I, I think, I really, I'm thinking here, I shouldn't think while I preach, dangerous things happen. But instead of a Daniel fast, what if Berean church took 21 days to fast from gossip. Oh, some of you just, no, pastor, please, we can't do that. that would, I wouldn't have anything to talk about. What, would I, what if we took 21 days to fast from complaining and criticizing? I, I'm kind of liking this. I'm, I, th- I think we need to go back to January 1 and start over. I'm saying that God is saying fasting isn't just a physical um, buffeting of the body, but of the fleshly appetites that you're going to fast from some things to do other things. I don't know what you would do with this, but I've told this story often because it was one of my altar moments. I was in high school And uh, in Bible quiz, I'm sitting in the living room. It was a period of time that our family was all together. And we were watching our family devotions called Hee Haw. (laughs) I didn't realize how vulgar Hee Haw was. Until I watched an old episode and I couldn't get five minutes through it. Like, "This this is perverse. We're all laughing at the corny humor and all that's going on there. And I really felt like God spoke to me that I should quit watching Hee Haw and go study Bible quiz. Now, I'm telling you, that was a word from God, not from me. That's not the way my mind functioned. And what I didn't do is stand up and rebuke the room for watching Hee Haw because God wasn't speaking to them. Come on, help me now. He was speaking to me. And I got up and walked out of the room. And I can tell you, mom said, where are you going? I said, well, I really need to get my Bible quiz done. And she said, good. And it felt like... A a million uh, lumen light was turned on on the inside of me that God said, I am pleased with that decision. I was fasting from fleshly entertainment to spend time in the fruitfulness of his word. That's fasting. It can be any of those things that you do. It is very, very flexible. It's putting to death the works of the flesh. Then you will call and I will answer. Second, 
Fasting is directionally focused. Not only is fasting biblically flexible, it's directionally focused. Now, I'm going to give you a number of verses here, and you can jot those down or not. You can catch this later. You can send me an email, and I'll give you the references, because I'm not going to spend a lot of time here on each point. But I want you to see that when fasting happens in Scripture, it always has a focus. It's not just to fast so I can say I fasted or that I can be the spiritual elite. Every time they fasted, there was something that that fast was focused on. Number one, in Ezra chapter 8, verse 21 to 23, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children. That if they were going to have a safe journey, Ezra felt like he couldn't ask for protection from the king, which meant that they'd be subject to the attacks of the enemy. And it was a little bit of pride that motivated that. And he understood that he had to humble himself to be in a place where God could receive, is it be, or God could bless him. Is it because God loves to see you grovel? Not at all. What does fasting do? It moves you from a place where God can't bless to a place where he can bless. It changes you. It changes your spot. It moves you from a place of arrogance to a place of submission. David said it this way, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will never turn away because it's open to receive. Ezra said, we need to humble our hearts. And if you're struggling with a time of arrogance and pride, just shut the food source off for a little while and see what happens. You might have to buy that shirt that says, I apologize for everything I said to you when I was hangry. Put a guard on yourself during those times. In Joel chapter 2, verse 12, fasting was focused on affecting repentance. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. Who knows, he may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. But the idea being, return to me with all of your heart. So let's explore that just for a moment. How many of you have ever had someone apologize to you and it didn't feel like an apology? I am so sorry that you were so stupid. I'm so sorry that you got offended. I want you to know I'm so sorry for the way you hurt me. None of those are apologies, are they? They're a backhanded way to dig you again. And often when people come to God with repentance, they don't want to repent from their behavior. They want to repent and get a pass on the consequence of their behavior. God, forgive me. And he's saying, nah, we don't forgive consequences. We forgive a broken and contrite heart. And there are times when you need to move from a place of self-righteous arrogance to a place of true repentance. And one of the ways to do that is to turn off the food source and humble yourself. God, I'm serious about this. I need to humble myself and I need to repent. And I'm going to bow myself before you. In Acts chapter 13, verse 3, they fasted to empower ministry. 
The Bible tells us that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. They were going back to minister to the churches. The beginning or launching really of what would become Paul's missionary career. And look at all that the Apostle Paul did with the number of books in the New Testament that bear his name, the number of churches that he established, the number of strongholds that he tore down. Where did that start? It started in a church service when God said, I have a special calling on Barnabas and Saul, and I want you to send them out. And they prayed and fasted. There are times that fasting will empower a ministry endeavor. It humbles you. It affects repentance. It empowers ministry. Fourth, it'll deepen worship. Luke chapter 2, verse 37, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Why was it? We don't know for sure about Simeon, but we do know about Anna. Why was she in the right place at the right time? Why did she have that great revelation of that baby? Why did people listen to her when she gave this outlandish declaration about this child? Because there was a spiritual depth to her that only comes by prayer and fasting. And if you need a time, if you hit a spot where you need to dig down a little deeper, it seems like God's not hearing, maybe the next step for you is to spend a little time fasting and putting the body in submission to the spirit. And fifth, in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Sometimes there's a burden that's almost crushing in its weight. There's a situation that you need to see God do something supernatural, and you feel the weight of that burden. There are times that the only response to that is fasting and prayer to dig a little deeper. Fasting is always directionally focused to humble ourselves, to affect repentance, to empower ministry, to deepen worship, and to respond to a burden. Sixth is to gain insight. In Daniel chapter 9, when Daniel needed to hear from God, I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in petition and prayer, in fasting and sackcloth. So what do all of these accounts share in common? They share one thing in common. Somebody or a group of people were stuck spiritually. They were at a place where progress needed to be made that wasn't being made. They needed a breakthrough. And that breakthrough came when they prayed and fasted. When you hit a wall spiritually, a new adventure where doors have not yet opened, you need a new insight from God. You need to break the power of the flesh. You're at a wall. What do you do? I'm telling you what, the, the focus for you just might be to spend some time fasting. Fasting isn't just random, shooting in the sky. It's directionally focused. It's biblically flexible. And then chapter three, I mean number three, chapter three of this book, it's spiritually forceful. Fasting releases power. 
I did hear the story of a man who went on a 40-day fast for spiritual power. And he wasn't going to quit fasting until God gave power. Um, the story was the man kept fasting until he starved himself to death. Because the power of fasting follows the fast. It's not at the same time as the fast. You're digging down and the power follows. How many are hearing what I'm saying? And I could tell you all kinds of things about how to break the fast, all that goes with that. But I want you to see the force of that. Do you remember the story of Jonah? How many have heard of Jonah? <laughs> Nineveh was a wicked, wicked city. When you talk about Nineveh, we have no idea today how wicked that city was. You know one of the things they did to punish their enemies is they would peel off their skin while they were alive. They would feed their children into the fiery arms of a brazen God and watch that child cook to death. They engaged in sexual immorality in front of the temple, believing that that sexual act would release fertility and blessing in their city. They were so far from God. You say, well, that wasn't their fault. Oh, certainly it was. Certainly it was because we all started in the same place. And over time, they went further and further away. They were anti-God. They were vile. They were doing horrible things. Why would Jonah not want to go there? Because it could be. They would, impale, they would impale living captives on a spear, put the spear in the air, and drop them on it, and gather around and watch them as they writhed to death. This was a vile city. A city I wouldn't want to go to. Why? Because I might be the next one they fillet. I might be the next one they quarter. I might be the next one they impale. Hello? These were vile people. And maybe some of Jonah's family had been killed by them. And in any event, he just felt like they were too hard. They couldn't be reached. They weren't going to change. And if they did change... He didn't want them to. In fact, one of the things Jonah recognizes is the power of the message. He says, God, they're going to repent and you're going to let them off the hook and I don't want that. Jonah begins to preach. How does an entire nation move from the vilest city in the world to a place of God's blessing? The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they had done and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them destruction, the destruction that he had threatened. That's a powerful voice. They repented with fasting. The city turned toward God. Can those things happen when people fast? Oh, certainly it can. Cities can be changed because it's a force for God. When we were pastoring in Old Wine, Northeast Iowa, there was a there was a major, there was one major business that had closed, another one that was going to close. And we talked about it. The impact on that on the city would have been devastated. The city would basically have gone away. And we called the church to a time of fasting and prayer to fast for 30 days. If that meant a meal a day, a food during that, however you want to do that, but during 30 days of fasting and prayer. Now, you can believe what you want to believe. 
but it had already been reported in the news that the major employer was leaving town. After the church prayed and fasted and sought God, they changed their mind and brought more business to town and expanded the factory. Now you say, will fasting change God's mind? No, I don't believe it changes God's mind. I believe it moves us into a place where God can use us and move through us. I'm telling you, it is, there are times that corporately we need to be called to fasting. And there are other times that it needs to be fought out individually. So I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I think the church ought to fast. Well, you can think that if you want, but how much are you fasting? Why don't we start with you? Anybody hearing me? Do you remember the story of Esther? <laughs> Esther was a little maiden girl that came into the king's court and God gave her favor and she becomes the queen. Why does she become the queen? Because an evil man named Haman has plotted to destroy all of the Jews a genocide because he hates Mordecai who wouldn't bow. And he comes up with this elaborate plan and it looks like he's winning. And we have that famous line where Mordecai says to Esther, who knows but what you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You're the only one who can intervene. <laughs> I have to tell you that what she was about to do was very, very risky. Based on the behavior of the kings at the time, it would have been likely that she would have been completely shut out or put to death. Um, same as Vashti had been treated to come before the king and confront him. But here's what she says. Gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. And even though it is against the law, if I perish, I perish. Now we know the rest of the story that God did a phenomenal work that revealed the evil intent of Haman and how Mordecai had actually saved the king's life and, and Haman dies on the very gallows that he had built. What turned the tide? The people who needed God recognized the desperation of the moment and they fasted together. And listen to what Esther said. We're not fasting for deliverance. We're fasting for the will of God because if I perish, I perish. What is she saying? Before we stand, we're gonna do everything we know to do to take a stand. I'm gonna take a stand, but we've not done everything that needs to be done ahead of that. Whatever God does on the other side of this is okay, but we're gonna do everything that we know to do and she fasted and the People of Israel fasted and God brought a great deliverance. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 29 that some things don't happen without prayer and fasting. And I think it's interesting. In Mark chapter 20 and 29, the phrase that Jesus says that we'll come back to in just a moment is this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Newer translations take out the word fasting. And you can argue with me all day, and I can argue back all day about the manuscript evidence 
and the, the translations over the years. But I'm just telling you, when I look at the whole of Scripture and I see the power that's released in fasting, anyone that wants to take that out of the New Testament for any reason is diminishing the, the power that God has available to us. Hello? So I believe it belongs there. Academically, I believe it belongs there. And spiritually, I believe it belongs there. So what happened? Oh, it's a, it's a wonderful story. Jesus and three of his disciples are on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what a day that must have been. Jesus turned into visible light. They couldn't hardly look at him. The glory of God shone on him. And he's there with Moses and Elijah. And they're talking about things about the kingdom. It's a phenomenal time. They want to build three tabernacles. They're at, the, they're at the pinnacle of spiritual power vibrancy but at the same time the rest of the disciples are in the valley and there's a dad with a broken heart and a broken son a son who's having epileptic type demonic manifestations it wasn't epilepsy it's clearly here in the story demonic foaming throwing himself in the fire and this man had heard about Jesus and his disciples and he brings his son to the disciples. Jesus isn't there, but the disciples are here and, and, they, and he says, can you heal my son? You're a disciple of the healer. You're a disciple of Jesus everywhere he goes. He goes about doing good, healing all that are oppressed of the devil and my son needs healing. And they pray for him and they do whatever they know to do and nothing changes Nothing happens. Jesus and his disciples come down from the mountaintop and the man comes to Jesus and says, can you do anything for my son? I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't do anything. Can you do anything? And Jesus rebukes the disciples and then he delivers the boy and he's instantly and immediately healed and they're embarrassed and they're frustrated and they want to know from Jesus, why could we not cast him out? Why couldn't we do that? And he said, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. It's a force. Now, where did Jesus fast? This kind of spiritual battle requires that you fast ahead of time as a discipline, as a part of life. Can you imagine if Jesus said, well, sir, I wish I could help you, but this kind requires at least three days of fasting and because the devil is so strong here, I think maybe it might take seven. So if you could come back a week from today, I think we'll be ready. How many know that's not how God wants to work? That's not how God wants to work. You've got to keep yourself ready for the battle. And there's some battles that will not be won that you'll be confronted with that you won't be pre prepared for unless you pray and fast. There's a story in the Old Testament about the children of Israel going into a battle and, they, uh, and, and this battle against, um, there was a new weapon that had been developed. It was a shield with leather on it. And the goal was you had to keep the leather anointed. Otherwise the shield would shatter. That principle is true in all of our lives. You have to keep the weapons anointed. You have to keep the oil on the vessel. You have to be, how many are hearing me this morning? Ready ahead of time. 
some interventions can't happen. So are you saying that if I fast and pray, I'll get everything I want? <laughs> Were you listening at all? What does fasting do? It subjugates your flesh. What does prayer do? It puts you in a place to hear the voice of God. Fasting and prayer puts your will even further down, your fleshly desires even further down, so that you can hear from God and be a clean vessel that his power can flow through. So I thought I'd end this message by calling to a 40-day fast. No, not at all. I do want to tell you a story a couple of times where God really worked on me, young, new in ministry, extended family in trouble. And I felt like God said, if you'll fast for three days, I'll be able to move through you and tear down those strongholds and you'll lead that couple to Jesus. So I went to my pastor and told him about the situation. I said, I really feel like something. I feel like God spoke to me to fast for three days. And see, I had a job the next week. This was in the summertime, and I had to help paint the parsonage with a brush, white in July. I mean, and I thought he'd say, well, I'll give you the next three days off. He said, that's great. See you Monday morning. He didn't cut me any slack. He didn't give me any freedom from that. It was, you're going to appear not to fast. <laughs> I felt like I was going to die but I knew what God had called me to and I wanted there to be a clean vessel. And I'm telling you that after that three-day fast, some days later, I was able to lead that couple to faith in Jesus Christ. Why did I fast? Because that's what he told me to do. There were things in my life that needed to get out of the way that were melted off on the side of a parsonage with a paintbrush in my hand that melted out of the way so that God could flow through. God moves through um, humble vessels. Fasting is flexible. Fasting is focused. And fasting is forceful. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. So here's what I want you to get. Okay? There is no right or wrong way to fast. How you should fast or not fast or what to fast. It's ceasing from something to humble yourself. As you do that, it has a focus on your repentance, deliverance of a city, revelation from God, it has a focus. And once you have determined the nature of the fast and the focus of the fast, God's going to release the force of his spirit through you. So I don't care how you do it. I do care if you do it. That in some fashion... We would say 2021 is gone. <laughs> 2022 is here. It's a new day. And God, I need more power to face the challenges that are in this world. I want to take a stand in 2022. And before I take a stand, I'm going to do everything that I know to do to be ready for that moment that I need to take a stand. Have you prayed? Have you fasted before you take a stand? 
So this morning, let's just stand together and take a few minutes in worship and let God speak to you about this important subject and he may lay something on your heart. Don't be foolish about it. Don't do something flippant or rash, but he'll direct you in that. And who knows whether we've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Draw me close to you Never let me go
take a stand in 2022. Let me hear your hands this morning. God, use us to take a stand. And I'm serious when I'm calling on you to take a stand for community by joining a connect group. Regularly, people will say, I was sick and no one called on me. Well, number one, the Bible says if you're sick, you're to call the elders. Elders aren't to call you, you're to call the elders. You have to let us know. But the best way to get pastoral care, the best way to get into community and have fellowship, our on-ramp to that, our connect groups. You say, well, I don't like that on-ramp. Then don't complain when you don't get on the highway. All right? So I'm not trying to bully you. I'm just saying, come on, let's do this. Let's get involved in connect groups. Sign up before you leave today. And then open your heart to God. Do you need to fast from criticism? Do you need to fast from candy? What do you need to fast from? And let God build in us a culture that we've done everything we know to do to take a stand. We've prayed and we've fasted and we're ready for marching orders. Amen. God bless you. Greet someone nearby. Let them know you love them and care about them. Amen.